Cable news, noisy, boring, out of touch. That's why Salem News Channel is different. We keep you in the know. Streaming 24-7 for free. Home to the greatest collection of conservative voices like Dennis Prager, Jay Sekulow, Mike Gallagher, and more. Salem News Channel is unfiltered and unapologetic. Watch anytime, on any screen, at snc.tv and local now, channel 525. From policy to culture, principles to politics, this is The Seth Leibson Show. Welcome back Wednesday, July 6, 2022, as we head into Hour 3. I am Seth Leibson. With early ballots being sent out and delivered as I speak, many of you have asked me who I'm voting for in the primaries, who I'm endorsing, and why. And I promise I would do a comprehensive statement and analysis on this in due time. And the due time is nigh and i will do it in my monologue first hour on friday so on friday tune in if you want that many of you have called my office line asking i call you back to discuss my choices and thoughts and i thank you tremendously but with the volume of calls i just can't find the time to do that but that's why we're here three hours a day so feel free to call into the show and we will give everyone the benefit of our discussion if you agree disagree or want to explore things further again my apologies that i can't do it individually but friday i'll do it at the top of the show first hour Friday. A few preliminary thoughts, though. Of course, around this time, you will hear the conventional and standard statements about how important it is to vote and how important the right to vote is. You'll hear about people risking life and limb for the privilege of voting, and you'll hear about how too many Americans take the right for granted. And all of that is certainly true. But I always thought those sentiments missed something or were devoid of some things anyway. Let me work into it this way. Yesterday, Hugh Hallman closed the show with a statement about Juneteenth, the day the last slaves were freed in Texas that we commemorated last month. I think most still miss the import of it. And if you'll bear with me, I'll connect it to what I think is missing in our discussions and understandings about the right to vote here. For about a generation now, we've been cruising along at something like 75 miles per hour to revise American history and degrade and downgrade uh, the founding of this country, our founding. We found a sixth gear we didn't even know existed in the last two or three years, didn't we? We even changed our 1776 founding date to 1619 so as to remove freedom and equality as our founding ethos in order to show ourselves and the world that slavery was our founding ethos and that 1776 was a lie, a myth. So when we commemorate Juneteenth, as we did last month and will again next year, it's well worth asking why it is actually celebrated and how we actually got to something worthy of celebration in the manumission of slaves in Texas. Spoiler alert, it's because of 1776 and not 1619. Spoiler alert, those who said and say 1776 was a lie and not our real founding are in exact league and on the exact same side, even using the same warmed-over language, of those who made June 19, 1865 necessary in the first place. In other words, those who justified and defended slavery in the first place. Bear with me. As History.com puts it, after the Civil War came to a close in the spring of 1865, General Granger's arrival in Galveston, Texas that June signaled freedom for Texas's enslaved. 
Although emancipation didn't happen overnight for everyone, in some cases, enslavers even withheld the information until after harvest season, celebrations broke out about uh, among the newly freed black people, and Juneteenth was born. That December, slavery in America was formally abolished with the adoption of the 13th Amendment. I know those who listen and listened to the Nicole Hannah Joneses and the Robin DeAngelos and the Ibrahim Kendis must ask, wait, how did we get a 13th Amendment? After all, it was voted for and signed by white people in this country, wasn't it? Yep, it was. And it was signed after a long war. It's called the Civil War. And hundreds of thousands of Americans who took Lincoln and our founding seriously and didn't think that they were liars and mythmakers, they died for that. Because Lincoln and hundreds of thousands of Americans before him took the Declaration of Independence seriously, which thousands of Americans died for as well. Oh, yes, there were people who thought 1776 and the Declaration was a lie before this century, just like the BLM crowd does now, or just like Nicole Hannah Jones does now, or just like Ibrahim Kendi does now, or just like Robin DeAngelo does now. You, you get there were. And they were known as, in the 19th century, Confederates. They formed what was known as the Confederacy. They believed our founding, just like Jones and Kendi and DeAngelo and anyone who still follows the BLM movement, they all believed our founding was a lie as well. Let me be clear, the modernists who think our founding a lie and corrupt are in intellectual league with the very part of this world that went to war to instantiate, preserve, and solidify slavery and opposed the founding document that was the source of fighting and the source of ending slavery. The Confederacy and its supporters said things like the Declaration of Independence didn't proclaim self-evident truths but self-evident lies. John C. Calhoun, the intellectual father of the Confederacy, not only claimed slavery a positive good, but did so by stating that the Declaration of Independence was itself a lie. He called the Declaration's statement that all men are created equal as erroneous. So did Jefferson Davis. Sounding just like Woodrow Wilson in the following century, the first truly progressive president and scholar, Jefferson Davis resigned from the U.S. Senate in 1861 to join the Confederacy in a speech where he said the Declaration of Independence was only fit for the men who wrote it and applicable to their times, no future times, where we should all be free to write down our own Declaration of Independence, just like progressive Woodrow Wilson. This would, of course, fly in the face of all historical evidence over what Thomas Jefferson and James Madison actually thought, said, and wrote. And certainly Abraham Lincoln, who said the Declaration of Independence was applicable to all men at all times and embraced every human being regardless of race. Just as Thomas Jefferson looked at what he wrote and wrote that with slavery in this country, he trembled for this country under the knowledge that God was just. In his famous or once famous cornerstone speech, Alexander Stevens, the vice, presidency of the, the vice president of the Confederacy, said, quote, the American founding rested upon the assumption of the equality of races, which was an error and a soundy foundation, and the government built upon it fell when the storm came and the wind blew, close quote. The founders didn't mean it. Our new government, he continued, quote, is founded on exactly the opposite idea. Its foundations are laid and its cornerstone rests upon the great truth that our founders did not see the white man as equal to the black and that slavery subordination to the superior race 
is the black man's natural and normal condition, close quote. This is precisely what the 1619 Project teaches, that our founding believed that the black man was not the equal of the white man, the same notion that animated the Confederacy and that wanted to protect and maintain and grow slavery. There was another side. There was another side that said, nope, that's not true. Nope, that's not what the founders said. Nope, we will emancipate slaves to be in consonance with what the founders wanted. Over the past several days, folks, you saw liberal commentator after liberal commentator on MSNBC and CNN, even their legal scholars and correspondents. You saw large parts of the official Democratic Party, along with throngs of Hollywood types, saying things like, F the 4th of July, F America, who cares about the Declaration of Independence, who cares about the Constitution. It was written by old and dead white men, don't you know? Well, they weren't old when they wrote it. But what my point is, is this. If any of them think the right to vote is important or the liberation and manumission of slaves is important, you can't say F the fourth or the Constitution or this country, for that is where and whence emancipation came from, which would explain why anti-slavery leaders and civil civil rights heroes would cite to those documents all the time. And that, too, is what makes voting so important here. It is what is in back of the right to vote. As Harry Jaffa writes, a people consists of human persons who have been formed by their voluntary agreement to join civil society. It is they who may be said to have the right under circumstances to alter or abolish governments. This has come to be known as the right of revolution. But a people is not any chance assemblage. Their fidelity to the laws of nature and of nature's God in 1776 made the American people, according to the Declaration, quote, the good people of these these colonies, close quote. A good people may change a bad government. But what of a bad people? Does sovereignty and the sense of legitimate political power belong to a bad people as well as a good people? Madison and Jefferson would think this absurd. The compact theory of government presupposes a people that is good in the sense that it is united by the morality inherent in the laws of nature and of nature's God. The morality defines, in principle, the rights and duties in virtue of which minorities and majorities accept the decisions of the ballot box. That the powers usurped by an elected legislature should be resisted in And by the electoral process, that is to say, by throwing the rascals out in the next election, may be the mode that now appears most desirable and most compatible with Republican principles. But that depends upon the circumstances that neither side in a contest believes or has reason to believe that its political opponents intend to use the power of government gained by an election to deprive it of its equal natural rights. We do not presuppose that elections are meant to violate minority rights. Indeed, no one can accept as a fellow citizen anyone who does not see the process of voting as a means to implement the equal rights of everyone. Before the votes are counted, it must be understood that the winner represents those who voted against him no less than those who voted for him. If such an understanding does not prevail, 
then the political process envisioned by the Declaration of Independence and Constitution cannot function. In other words, the precept that all men are created equal, as found in our very founding, is what creates the right to vote and be governed by our fellow citizens in the first place. It is what creates the right of one man, one vote. It is what allows Excuse me. It is what allows us to be self-governing. There's no such thing as self-government without the equality mentioned in the Declaration of Independence. Dismiss that. You dismiss the entirety of the meaning of the right to vote. I wonder if 1619 types understand this at all, as they certainly believe the right to vote is important, if not the most important thing in the world, if you listen to their elected leaders whenever a voting reform bill comes before them. But by the principles of the Declaration of Independence, majority rule in a free society must be understood as not an end in itself, nor is it a source of the purposes served by free government. Majority rule exists to secure the rights with which all human persons are endowed by their creator. The recognition of the origin of these rights in both God and nature comes before any action of any majority. Only as we all recognize that the just powers of government contemplated in the Declaration of Independence exist to secure the equal rights possessed by every human being, whether in the majority or minority, can tyranny be prevented and votes be respected, which requires that the Declaration and the Constitution, which the left continually denounce and condemns, be taken seriously. You can't take voting seriously and the right to vote if you're willing to say, F the Declaration, F the Constitution, F America. Only by taking the Declaration and Constitution seriously can we take voting seriously. That's where it comes from. If we aren't all equal, then there's no point in respecting votes or voting or any notion of self-government. The acceptance of the idea of human equality is that idea was comprehended within the laws of nature and nature's God are the necessary conditions par excellence for defining who might participate in a free election and hence who should be expected peacefully to abide by its results. Only those can willingly submit to the results of an election who see it as a means of deciding how to secure these rights. But the rights to be secured, which include life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness, are understood a priori before the notion of of the equal rights of everyone whose vote with the minority no less whose who vote with the minority no less than those who vote with the majority a community can conduct elections with the expectation that all parties will accept the results only if the elections are preceded by a mutual recognition of the equal rights of the participants and that it seems to me is why we conservatives and republicans who do take those documents and our founding seriously need no lectures from those who say F to all of it. They are renouncing the very principles and concepts which they then tell us we are trying to violate when it comes to things like election fairness or election reform. That is called psychological manipulation, if you know what you are doing and you know that you are doing it. It is called ignorance if you don't. My pitch, let's take no guff from political manipulators and ignoramuses. I'm Seth Leibson. We'll be right back. Portions of this show are brought to you by the good people at Y-Refi. They are my friends over there. I love that company. If you're looking for a remarkable and unique investment opportunity, check them out. 
They're offering a fixed and no-load interest rate up to 10.25% for investors, all in a secure and collateralized portfolio. Why Refi is a due diligence-approved firm where investors do very well by doing good for others, and you can too. Check them out at investyrefi.com. That's the word invest, the letter Y, and then refy.com. Or give them a call at 855 316 3087. That's 855 316 3087. Let me return to, to something else Hugh Holman and I were talking about yesterday in context of the monologue, uh, which was, uh, I, I guess, for, for uh, lack of a better phrase, a vanishing frame of reference of culture or, or a vanishing cultural literacy where we as a country all understand the same notions. Remember, we were talking about this in the context of the SAT. Is the SAT biased? And one, of course, has to admit that whenever there's going to be a standardized test that use certain that uses certain cultural or historical or literary references that you're going to be asked questions about, yeah, it depends on, you know, you're, you can either study for it, which hopefully everyone does, uh, but you may have a background where you were trained up or raised in a household or a school that taught a lot of that stuff that, you know, may have exposed you to, I don't know, Shakespeare might have exposed you to um, – you know, more common, uh, more common uh, readings like perhaps uh, Catcher in the Rye or uh, maybe some F. Scott Fitzgerald or some Ernest Hemingway. And it's true. Not every family does that. Not every school does that. But once upon a time, we did. Once upon a time, we did. And that's why I was mentioning uh, the work of E.D. Hirsch yesterday. He wrote a book called Cultural Literacy. And I think it's important we get back to that if we're going to get back to understanding things like our very founding, the way that our founders intended us to understand them. It's one thing for Nicole Hannah-Jones to tell us what 1776 meant. But don't you think it's more important to know what Jefferson and Madison and Washington thought 1776 meant? It's one thing in this country— to be able to talk about things like, oh, I don't know, voting rights or civil rights. But wouldn't it be great and important if we all understood the trajectory that included Frederick Douglass and Martin Luther King, people who were taught to us growing up and are no longer taught anymore? This is what I'm talking about when I talk about cultural literacy. You can come from any kind of family and any kind of background in this country, obviously, it doesn't preclude you from being learned and culturally uh, knowledgeable as well as historically knowledgeable about the common things that kept this country together and out of a second civil war. Because not that we all thought the same thing, but that we all understood the common language and the common understandings of the culture that brought us here. That's the pitch. I'm Seth Liebson. We will be right back. Well, welcome back to the Seth Liebson Show. It is a delight to welcome 
welcome back to the show, Bethany Mandel. She is easily uh, my favorite uh, tweeter, Twitterer, uh, one of the best columnists in the country. She has a contributing uh, uh, she is a contributing writer for Deseret Magazine, and she is also in the publishing business. She's the editor for the children's book series Heroes of Liberty, which is just fantastic stuff. If you're looking for good stuff to give your kids, we're going to talk about the bad stuff here for a moment. Bethany, welcome back, and thanks. Thanks for being with us. Thanks for having me. You betcha, always. By the way, I, I don't know if you have read uh, this essay going around a bunch uh, out of City Journal by Lior Sapir about some of the transgender uh, goings-on in California and around the rest of the country. But uh, I was talking to him uh, earlier today. I have to tell you, this this stuff is really scary. I mean, I'm going to get to you about uh, to some of the stuff you're talking about with the libraries and librarians, but... My gosh, uh, people don't realize when they listen to us that this is real. It is going on. Uh, Not only the books, but the operations and the drugs. And it's going on against the parents' knowledge in some cases, not just wishes, knowledge. Teachers are literally concealing, in some cases, what they're doing with these parents' kids when it comes to changing their sex. It's an amazing thing. Yeah, so it's actually funny that you say that. I was actually contacted by a, a parent today locally to me here where I live in Maryland, and she told me this exact story. Her daughter, uh, the school changed her name without the, the mother's knowledge or consent and have been calling her by this name for months, and she only knew because she happened to see something that was put in her daughter's bag that had this other name on it, and she contacted the school and said, what's the deal, and no one replied to her. The other name was her, her child. The other name was her child. Yeah, they, 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 referred, they referred to her daughter by a male name, and she only knew because she happened to see um, something, a note that was written by her teacher in her, in her backpack. Incredible. And so the, 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 mother, the mother emailed and said, this is an infringement on our rights. This is an infringement on everything that we believe. I would like to talk to someone in your office about this. And she was completely and utterly ignored. I was going to say there's no help there. You can't trouble the poor with begging uh, in those cases. No. no uh, absolutely right. Uh, I don't know if you saw this. You, you may have been t- I don't remember who tweeted this out today. Um, but uh, it's, a, it's, it's someone put together a tweet from uh, a posting on uh, December 31st of 2021. My daughter, seven years old, was extremely excited to receive these books for Christmas, and I couldn't have been more proud. And the books are Jack Not Jackie and Mary Wears What She Wants. Fast forward one whole month, same person, January 2022, this year. In need of a little advice, my daughter, seven years, just came to me and said she thinks she wants to be a boy and then asking for help. What do you say to these parents? I mean, the parents that don't know is one thing, like the one you're describing— but we have parents yeah. who are encouraging it and then realizing, oh, wait, they're actually serious, I guess, right? They really want yeah. like Yeah, yeah. It's- yeah, I mean, th- this legitimizes it in the eyes of children, and it, it makes it a real thing. I mean, this is part of why we got into the children's publishing industry in the first exactly. place, because the, the power of ideas and the power of what kids are reading cannot be understated. I mean, the, the way that it forms your entire perception of the world and your reality and your self-identity. It's why they are, you know, doing a wholesale takeover of the publishing, the children's publishing industry, and why, as a result, 
when we wanted to be here as a liberty, we started our own publishing company because we knew we couldn't do it within the confines of Simon & Schuster or any other of these organizations because they've been completely captured by woke ideology. This would be a good moment for me to give out all that information of this book series. You did start Heroes of Liberty, heroesofliberty.com, and they've got books on Margaret, Th- the books for kids on Margaret Thatcher, on Alexander Hamilton, Thomas Sowell, Ronald Reagan, uh, Amy Barrett, <laughs> John Wayne, Rush Limbaugh, heroesofliberty.com. Bethany, I have to take a quick commercial break. This was a short uh, segment. We'll come right back with a bit longer because I want to talk to you about what the New York Times wrote. I'll tease it. With rising book bans, librarians have come under attack. Well, uh, the New York Times hasn't met Bethany Mandel just yet, or at least not all the arrows (laughs) you have in your quiver. So we'll talk about that when we come right back. I'm Seth Liebson. She's Bethany Mandel. Don't go away. Uh, As we go to break, let me put in a word for balance of nature. I take it every single day, 100% pure and natural. Pure, potent plant power boosts your energy boost your health, boost your immunity the natural way with Balance of Nature. Balanceofnature.com. Make sure to use discount code BALANCE. Welcome back to the Seth Liebson Show. Bethany Mandel is our guest. She's a contributing writer for Deseret Magazine and the publisher, uh, excuse me, the editor of the children's book series Heroes of Liberty, Heroes of Liberty. Dot com. You can follow her on uh, Twitter. She has uh, one of the best Twitter feeds I know of, uh, at Bethany Shondark, S-H-O-N-D-A-R-K. So, Bethany, the New York Times uh, has a piece with rising book bans. Librarians have come under attack. And I just love the first thing you wrote, which is, I'm going to quote your words to you if I may. If you're having drag queen story hour and stalking literal pornography on the shelves, you've surrendered the right to just ask for a quiet and respectful conversation about how you're doing your job. Harassment is wrong, but spare me the pearl clutching. We get this a lot here. You probably get it there, Bethany, where stories in the local paper start whenever a conservative or a Republican does something having to do with the transgender issue or, 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 or the transgender uh, teachings in the schools and lesson plans and that sort of thing. When we find out about them, we're told that we're starting a cultural war. Um, uh, that, that that that's another version of yeah, this. That I mean, this is the rights the doing. This is conservative how doing. They, yeah. How the New York Times framed it was actually really instructive. Yeah. They said, you know, there was this um, there was this librarian who recommended a book that was straight up pornographic. Mm-hmm. Like if you look at the images, they are straight up pornographic. And the the librarian recommended this book to a sixteen year old boy, and. Um, and he took it home and he read it. And his mother, um, you know, filed a complaint and went above her head and, and, you know, opened a little bit of warfare on the librarian, totally legally, totally justifiably and not not unhinged. She, she used the power, you know, that she had uh, as a resident and she took it above her head and she really um, she, she really complained. And, you know, the New York Times was shocked that the mother might actually vehemently object to an adult authority figure providing pornography to a child, her child. And this is, I mean, the disconnect between what they think is acceptable and I I, I don't understand in, in this scenario what the mother was supposed to do. Hi, so here's the thing. 
you gave my child pornography, and I, you know, I just I'm uncomfortable with that. Like, but in no in no planet would that be an appropriate response on the part of the parent. The part of the parent is to protect their child from people like this librarian. And I think that they're they're trying to sort of, you know, the imagery that they used on the piece was very, um, you know, it was just an old librarian. She's shocked. Da, 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 but I'm I'm sorry, no. You, you don't get to play the victim card after you've provided pornography to a child. That's, that, that card doesn't play. Are the teacher, uh, excuse me, are the librarians, Bethany, like so many of the teachers we've seen highlighted by libs of TikTok, et cetera, are the librarians kind of yes. taking yes. this so on? Yeah, I, I've, I've been writing and, and thinking about this a lot, yeah. both in you know my position on Heroes of Liberty, because we're trying to get our books in libraries, but sure. also just as a writer and a commentator. And this goes from top to bottom, from the librarian schools to the programs to the American right. Library Association, the ALA. Like right. this, the rod is from top to bottom. Yes, it's a, it's a hugely institutionalized uh, leviathan, and 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 I guess what I'm asking is, what is the what is the thinking from these people in the education field, which I know a little bit uh, better than than the library field, I suppose. <laughs> in the education field, there's this you know, Marxist notion of teaching as a revolutionary act, Ferrer and all that stuff. Do the librarians and the teachers, is that what they think their job is? Are they engaged in what they think is a revolutionary series of acts here and they're setting a new norm and that we're the, we're the strange ones for resisting or not getting on board? Or what, what do you think their frame of mind is on this? Because the most natural thing up until five years ago was to protect kids, children, yeah. from age-inappropriate yeah. sexual thematics yeah no absolutely i mean that's absolutely right the the new uh president of the american library association self-describes herself as a radical marxist right there that's you go a, a radical lesbian marxist this, <laughs> this is her okay. self-descriptor okay so i mean listen they're they're telling you who they are listen to them now one of the things that you get pushback on it's one of the most tiresome things i see but i'd love to hear your uh, response to it or have you give it to the audience because the audience will run into this too is they'll say well if you don't like uh, what's going on at the public library don't go if you don't want your kids yeah. uh, buying a public uh, uh, to, uh, borrowing a book don't get them a library card you say what so this argument is thrown back at me about being a homeschool parent when right. i speak right. the, the public schools as well but as a homeschool parent, the libraries are one of the, the most critical sources of education for my children because they're not in school. I'm a tax-paying resident, and this is a public service. And what the libraries are doing is indoctrinating children with our tax dollars. And they're, they're putting the finger on the scale of the publishing industry with our tax dollars. And so, for example, my local library owns 37 copies of Anti-Racist Baby, just in the board book form. 37, okay. They, <laughs> they are able to send a financial signal to publishers that this is content that will be purchased in bulk. You want to guess how many copies they have of, you know, the Heroes of Liberty book, Amy Funny Barrett? Oh, you're going to have a hard time getting it there. Zero. Yeah. Zero. Yeah. This is, I mean, they're influencing not just children, but they're also influencing the market. This right. is, you know, it is a free market, but they're using our tax dollars right. to incentivize all of these publishers to keep on producing these woke books. 
Well, Bethany, all I can say is thank you for the fight. Thank you for showing people how to fight. Keep it up. And to the parents, folks, follow Bethany uh, on Twitter so you can see what's going on at Bethany Shondark. But also check out uh, heroesofliberty.com. You, you, you know, the reason we have good philosophy is to counter bad philosophy, C.S. Lewis said. The reason we have good yeah. books, right, like what you're doing, is to counter the bad. So, Bethany, keep at it. Stay at it. And God bless thank you, really, you. honestly. Thank, thank you. you. You betcha. I'm Seth Liebson. We'll be right back. As we go to break, let me put in a word for our sponsors, Y-Refi. If you're looking for a remarkable investment opportunity, check out Y-Refi. Invest Y-Refi.com. They're offering a fixed, no-load interest rate up to 10.25% for investors, all in a secure, collateralized portfolio. Y-Refi is a due diligence approved firm run by great people doing very well by doing good for others. And you can too. InvestYRefi.com. I'm Seth. We'll be right back. Thanks for spending some of your afternoon with us. I want to thank Jeremy again for sitting in with us today. Jeremy, hope you had a good time. Always a blast, sir. Thank you very much. All of this hour, really, you know, it's it's about literacy and how we raise our children and how we read. Um, we are a nation of letters. I ran across this line from not my professor, Harry Jaffa, but his professor, my professor's professor, named Leo Strauss. You may hear that name from time to time. Most of what you hear about him is wrong, by the way. If you ever want to get into that, we can. But let me close the show with this thought from Leo Strauss. The reading of the morning prayer has been replaced by the reading of the morning paper. Not every day the same thing. Not every day the same reminder of man's absolute duty and exalted destiny. But every day something new with no reminder of duty and exalted destiny. Specialization, knowing more and more about less and less. The practical impossibility of concentration upon the very few essential things upon which man's wholeness entirely depends. The specialization compensated by sham universality, by the stimulation of all kinds of interests and curiosities without true passion, the danger of universal philistinism and creeping conformism. That's what we're talking about, folks. When you hear me talk about we focusing here on what I call the durables, this is what I'm talking about. Not jumping from lily pad to lily pad, chasing crisis after crisis in a high degree of elevated anxiety like we live in a wearing blender. We don't, and we shouldn't. I'm Seth Liebson. Until tomorrow, God bless you all, and class is dismissed. Dolly, take it out.